everyone. So good to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Peter, and I get to serve as one of the pastors on staff, and Lord willing, with Pastor of Christ Central Tysons. And if you're new here, just want to give you a, a, a welcome. I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning. Uh, we're in this new sermon series called Being the Church, and we're looking through the book of Acts uh, to show us and remind us what it truly means to be the church of Jesus Christ so that we can be more like the early church for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbors. Uh, a really great title for my message this morning is uh, The Healing of the Lame Beggar and the Apostle Peter's Sermon. <laughs> so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 3. We'll be reading the entire chapter, and, uh, and all of it is God's holy an infallible word. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said... I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servants, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. 
We live in a broken world begging for good news. And as the body of Christ, we're called to make the broken world more beautiful. Our passage points us to a couple of ways we're, we're called to make the world more beautiful. And as we read our passage, we're going to see that first, we're called to do beautiful works. And second, we're called to speak beautiful words. First, we're called to do beautiful works. In verses 1 through 10, the apostle Peter, accompanied by John, heals a lame beggar sitting at the entrance of the temple. And the healing miracle points us to a very beautiful work. This is the first and most detailed miracle account in the book of Acts. In Acts 1, if you remember, uh, Jesus told his disciples that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. And in Acts 2, the church is birthed. And in Acts 3, what we see is the apostles carrying out the first part of Jesus' commission to them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem. And so the story likely takes place weeks, maybe months, just after Jesus ascends to heaven. And our story tells us that as the body of Christ, we're called to do beautiful works. And it points us to two reasons why. First, because of the broken needs of the world. And second, because this is the beautiful ministry of the church. First, the broken needs of the world. We see this in verses 1 through 3. The world's broken needs are reflected in our story as we meet the man with broken legs. Our story begins by telling us that Peter and John, who are on their way to the temple for prayer, they meet a lame man. Verse 2 says, a man, lame, a, main, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the beautiful gate to ask alms. This man was lame from birth. And if we peek ahead to the next chapter, we know that he was over 40 years old. A medical scholar says that the most likely diagnosis for the man's disability uh, is a severe case of clubfoot, which is a severe congenital deformity in the foot, which means that uh, people born with this defect are born with their feet uh, out of position and out of shape to the point where uh, the bottom of their feet would face sideways, and even in severe cases, it would face upward. And, and so for someone like this man, it would be completely debilitating. From birth until now, for over 40 years, this man lived his entire life unable to go where he wanted to go and to do what he wanted to do. As a child, he couldn't learn alongside of and play with his friends in the neighborhood. As an adult, he couldn't find a job and earn a living and live alongside all the other adults in society. The man's broken feet were a metaphor for his broken life. You see, in the ancient world, the outer physical appearance reflected your inner moral character. This means that if you were strong and healthy on the outside, people thought that you were moral and upright on the inside. Conversely, if you were uh, weak and uh, disabled or diseased on the outside, you were thought to be immoral and wicked on the inside. Everyone judged a book by its cover. And because of this, the disabled and specifically the lame were objects of disdain and disgust. The lame man in our story was a social outcast and religious outsider. We don't even know the, man, the name of this lame man. Our story tells us that Peter and John run into this man outside of the temple, and they meet him at one of the temple gates 
called Beautiful Gate. Scholars aren't sure which temple gate this was, but one likely possibility is that this was the Nicanor Gate. The name of the gate was Nicanor. And history tells us that there were 10 gates leading up to the sanctuary in the temple, and nine of them were plated with silver or gold. But the 10th gate was made of solid Corinthian bronze, which means that it was far more valuable and far more beautiful than all the other gates. This bronze gate was so massive and so heavy that it was said that it would take over 20 men to close the gate every night. And the beautiful gate is where Peter and John meet this lame man, a broken beggar at a gate called Beautiful. So very ironic, because up until this point, there was nothing beautiful about this broken man's life. We experience brokenness in our lives and in our world in so many different ways. Many of us here this morning know people who are experiencing very real brokenness. There are people around you who, like this lame man, might be broken with hopelessness. They're hopeless in their situation. They're drowning in debt. They're nowhere near where they think they ought to be in their career. They want to get married, but it keeps just not working out. Their marriage is falling apart. Their, their children are rebellious. They struggle with addiction. And because of all this, they experience a daily and deep sense of hopelessness. There are others who are broken in their hurts. They've been hurt by people they trust and ought to care for them, but betrayed them and even abused them. Others, like this man, experience brokenness in their health. They're, they're broken physically. They've got disease or chronic pain or some kind of illness. Whatever it is, many of us are surrounded by people who are broken in so many different ways. And many of us experience some of this brokenness as well. Whether it's broken people, broken places, broken systems, it's obvious and sometimes overwhelming to think about how our world, our relationships, and even our own lives are filled with brokenness. But it's because of all this brokenness that, that we see in our world that we, as a body of Christ, are called to do beautiful works. But we're also to do beautiful works because that's the beautiful ministry of the church. In verses 4 through 10, we see Peter heal this lame man. And in this healing, we see that it reflects what the church's beautiful ministry ought to look like. Peter and John didn't give this man what he was begging for. He was begging for change, silver and gold. But they wanted something far greater for this person who was created in the image of God than for him to simply survive another day. They wanted him to thrive. This man begged for change, but Peter and John wanted this man's heart to change. They wanted this man's life to change, just like their lives have changed, just like many of our lives have changed because of the risen and redeeming Messiah. And so Peter reaches out, takes him by the hand, and lifts him up. What a picture that is of what the church ought to look like. Immediately, this man's weak and broken bones were made like new. Verse 7 tells us that immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. 
And so if some of you guys are in the medical industry, you'll appreciate the words that the author Luke uses. And if you know, Luke is a medical doctor, his background, and he uses these words, feet and ankle bones, and it's only used once in the entire New Testament, and it's a technical and medical term. And it's almost like he's medically describing this miracle that is happening before us. As soon as this man's legs were healed, we see seven verbs that demonstrably show this man's joyful response. He leaps up, he stands, he walks, he enters, he walks, he leaps, and he praises. This man, who never took a step in his life, is leaping with joy. And we see him no longer lying down on the outside of the entrance of the, te of the temple with Peter and John. He enters into the temple, and we see him standing on the inside. Isaiah 35, 6 prophesies, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer when the Messiah comes. Lame people leaping was to be a sign that salvation has come to God's people and that God was going to do a beautiful, restorative, and renewing work among his people and in our broken world. This miracle serves as a connection between Jesus' ministry while he lived on earth and the apostles' ministry when Jesus ascended to heaven because the apostles healed in Jesus' name and it showed in their healing that they, in fact, had the same authority that Jesus had when he walked on earth as his witnesses. Jesus, in his ministry, constantly took people on the outside and he brought them inside. He ministered to the outcasts. He cared for the neglected. He healed the sick. He cared for the weak. He befriended sinners. He loved people whom nobody else loved, taking what's broken and making them new. And our story tells us that even though Jesus ascended to heaven, it's physically absent, he's still spiritually present. And he's building his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, just as he did in his earthly ministry. But now, in heaven, he's doing that through his apostles' ministry. And what's amazing is that for the past 2,000 years, built on the cornerstone of Jesus and the foundation of the apostles, our Savior has been and is today still building his kingdom through the ministry of the church. We, as a body of Christ, are called to do beautiful ministry of making broken things new in Jesus' name. This is how Jesus is redeeming and restoring a lost and broken world today. And this means at least a couple things for us as a church as we seek to love what is broken. First, to meet the needs of the broken who are outside of the church, who are outside of the walls of this church, we're to do the works of justice and mercy. We have to engage the community. We have to serve the hurting. We have to get to know the people of Centerville outside of, of people that might go to places like H Mart. We have to engage the community. And we have to do this by pursuing works of justice and works of mercy. When the church pursues justice and mercy, we're doing the beautiful ministry of gospel ministry. You see, the healing of this lame man was both a work of mercy and a work of justice. It was a work of mercy because this man couldn't, couldn't walk, and they healed this lame man, and, and now all of a sudden he could walk. He could, he could um, find a job. He could, he, could, uh, he could walk around. He could live life. But it was also, as they met a need in the ministry of mercy, it was also a work 
of justice as well. Because in his healing, they restored dignity in this man's life. A, a life that probably felt a lot of oppression, a lot of neglect, a lot of unfair treatment was now restored. And most of us aren't going to be pastors or elders or maybe even ministry leaders, but many of us can and should do works of justice and works of mercy. This should be probably our primary gospel ministry, if, if I'm being real. God really does want to make all things new and all things beautiful. And although he's going to do that fully and completely one day when he returns, he wants to do that now through the ministry of the church as we do that real time, as we pursue justice and mercy where we work, live, and play. And so I encourage you and urge you to do things like work with your employer to make sure that everyone is treated and paid fairly, regardless of race, gender, or religion. Be a voice on the PTA to make sure that every child is set up for success, not just your child, but especially the underprivileged child. Give generously to the poor. And if you're a member and you're not serving in any ministry, serve at one of our, gospel, um, our, our partner um, agencies and, and ministries like Londontown Ministries. As the body of Christ, we're called to make Centerville more beautiful. And it's not just lip service. Because we're here, we're to make Centerville more like Christ as we share the love of Christ and show the broken what he is like. And one of the best ways we can do that is through works of justice and works of mercy. This is how we're to meet the needs of those outside of the church. But we're also to meet the needs of the broken who are inside the church as well. The church itself is to be a place where people find healing and renewal, especially when they're hopeless and broken. There are many members and attenders at our church that really do feel broken. You might see them with happy faces on Sundays, even though their, their half their faces are covered with masks. But there are many who are struggling with deep and painful hurts. So how, how do we help those who are broken and are part of our church? You might be the one that's broken. How, how do you receive help here at our church? I want to pause here and ask if you could take a few moments and look around the room. Look at the people next to you, behind you, in front of you. Right now, like turn, turn around, look at each other, make eye contact. You know, for most of 2020, this, this room and building was empty. But now look at this room. The people next to you, in front of you, behind you, these are to be like Peter for you, and you're to be like Peter for them. The hands that lifted up the broken, person, the broken man, you find in the hand next to you. And your hand is supposed to be like Peter's hand, picking up the broken around you. He provides these beautiful hands for you when you're broken. So friends, I want to encourage you with one strong encouragement. Get connected. Get connected. Get connected with people at church. And if you're already connected, look for people who are new and disconnected and invite them in. Whether it's your CGs or Central Men or Women's Group, Central College, Central Kids, whatever it might be, invite people in if you see them disconnected. And you yourself, please get connected. So many of us have been disconnected for far too long. And we as a family, need to gather again. Because this family is where the broken find healing and are made new.
And as a body of Christ, we're called to make broken things new in Jesus' name by doing beautiful works. But our story also tells us that as a body of Christ, second, we're also called to speak beautiful words. In verses 11 through 26, we hear Peter preach a sermon, and his sermon tells us that as the body of Christ, we're called to speak words that are beautiful. Peter preaches to a crowd of people who are amazed at the miraculous healing that happened, and they rush around to gather around him. And we hear Peter preach a sermon. And in his sermon, we hear three parts. First, a beautiful Savior. Second, a beautiful invitation. And third, a beautiful plan. First, a beautiful Savior. Peter's sermon points to the Savior of the gospel. From verses 12 through 16, Peter preaches the gospel. He tells the crowd who Jesus is and what Jesus did. He says Jesus is a holy and righteous one. He was delivered over. He was denied. They killed the author of life. And Peter says God glorified and raised him from the dead. And in verse 3, Peter refers to Jesus here with a title that's rare in the New Testament. He says that Jesus is God's servant. Thousands of years earlier, Isaiah again prophesied about this servant of God. He said, behold, my servant shall be high and lifted up. He was despised and rejected by men. He was pierced and crushed for our iniquities. The righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Isaiah prophesies about a time where God is going to bring redemption to the world and that God's people will experience salvation. And Peter says, that time is here. That time is now. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the servant of God. Jesus was rejected by men. Jesus was nailed to the cross. Jesus paid for your sins and mine. Jesus rose again from the dead. And Jesus one day will return to make all things new. Jesus is the beautiful Savior. And as Peter points to the beautiful Savior, he offers them a beautiful invitation. In verse 19, Peter invites them to repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Don't miss this, because the crowd that Peter preaches to is a Jewish crowd. And what's courageous and kind of crazy uh, about Peter is that Peter accuses these people that he's speaking to, uh, he accuses them of murdering Jesus. Some of these people may have actually been part of the crowd when Jesus was tried, condemned, and crucified. But Peter, he places uh, collective guilt upon all the Jewish people. Jesus came to the Jews, and these Jews in Jerusalem rejected and killed Jesus. And this makes the invitation Peter offers that God offers even more amazing. Peter says to repent. Repent literally means to turn around and turn towards. To turn around from rejecting Jesus and turn towards trusting Jesus so that your sins may be blotted out. Peter makes this invitation even to the very people who participated in the murder of Jesus. The gospel offers an invitation for the forgiveness of sins to anyone, no matter who it is, no matter what they've done, even to the very people who killed the Savior of the world. 
I don't know what kind of horrible things you might have done in your life or how lost you might feel right now or how far you might feel from God. Some of you sitting here today might feel unworthy to be sitting here or you feel guilty or ashamed and that there's no way that God can love someone like you for the things that you've done, that there's no way that God can forgive you for the things that you've done. Your sins are too unthinkable, too frequent, too egregious, too dirty. Jesus says this invitation is for you. You might be thinking, but Peter, you don't know the things I've done. You don't know the people I've hurt or the mistakes I've made. But the beautiful and scandalous news of the gospel is that you cannot outsin the mercy of God, that you cannot outdo God's grace for you. If God can forgive even the very people who killed his own son, then God can surely forgive you. He wants to forgive you. And he offers you this invitation today. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, but you want a relationship with this God who, who's, who, um, who forgives even the worst of sinners, Jesus says to you to repent from your sins and turn to Jesus and your sins will be blotted out and you'll be given eternal life. And if you're sitting here today and you feel like you're a horrible Christian and you'll feel far, far from God, that you've been Christian for a long time, but you don't even feel like a Christian, first I want to say, join the club. That's how I feel like every other day. But even to you, Jesus invites you to repent, turn from your sins, turn to Jesus, because your sins are already blotted out and you've already been given eternal life. This invitation is an invitation for all of us here this morning because we all run away from Jesus. We all turn away from Jesus. We all participated in the murder and crucifixion of Jesus. But thank God, his grace doesn't depend on how well we follow Christ or uh, because no matter how far we feel or how bad we messed up, he offers us infinite forgiveness, mercy, and grace. God will never get sick of forgiving you. And friends, this really is good news. Peter's sermon tells us the beautiful Savior, the beautiful invitation, and lastly, we hear about the beautiful plan. Peter's sermon reveals God's beautiful plan to bless all the families of the earth and renew the whole world. He says in verse 25 and 26, you're the sons of the prophets of the covenant of God uh, that, made, that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Peter addresses uh, the Jews uh, to whom Jesus first came. Jesus came through the Jewish line. He ministered mostly among Jewish people. And Peter here now is speaking mostly to a Jewish crowd. But God's plan was never limited, was never meant and intended for a specific race of people. He doesn't show favoritism to any race, no matter what color you are. God's plan has always been and always will be to restore the brokenness of all peoples in the entire world. The big story of the Bible, or what theologians call the Bible's meta-narrative, and there's one big story of the gospel, and it's called the meta-narrative, is what theologians called it. It can be captured in four words. Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. And the good news is that 
that no matter how much you sin, that you, we can never out God's grace. We can never out God's mercy, and that's good news. But the gospel isn't just limited to you because that would be far too small and far too private. But the gospel that we see in the Bible is, is huge, it's big, it's cosmic. And so this is where the gospel narrative uh, is helpful because the gospel meta narrative says that because of sin, all of humanity and all of creation, which was originally good when God first created it, which is creation, is now broken, which is the fall. But God, in his love for us, sent his own son to live a perfect life and die a perfect death to accomplish our salvation which is redemption. And one day, as Jesus is ruling and reigning right now in heaven, he's going to come back and rescue, redeem, and renew the whole world. And that's renewal. And we get to be a part of this beautiful plan. Just like the lame man in her story, you too were once broken. You too were once needy. We were all outcasts and outsiders. But like Peter... Jesus stopped when he saw you. He reached out, picked you up, took you by the hand, and because he loves you, started a beautiful work in you that he will fully and finally complete one day. And Jesus wants to do the same thing through us, the church. Because the church is the only institution on earth that's been bestowed, that's been given the gospel. And with the gospel... As the body of Christ, we're called to make our world a little less broken and a little more beautiful. So the church is how God carries out his big, beautiful plan. And one of the main ways that God does that is through the planting of more churches. We're going through the book of Acts this year, as many of you know already. And in some ways, the book of Acts can be seen as a New Testament guidebook for church planting. If, uh, on the screen, if you take a look at the outline of Acts through the lens of church planting, what we see is that uh, in chapter 1 and, and kind of in the beginning parts of the book, we see the birth of the church, the function, growth, and organization of the church as the church is planted first in Jerusalem. And then throughout the book of Acts, we see the gospel spread more and more through churches being planted in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. The book of Acts establishes and encourages churches being planted and church planting as one of the primary means God uses to accomplish his beautiful gospel plan. Without churches being planted, people don't experientially and relationally experience the gospel through CGs and discipleship and journey groups. Without churches being planted, Families don't raise their children to know and trust Jesus. And spouses don't have a gospel foundation to pursue one another, especially when marriages get difficult. Without churches being planted, the poor and oppressed don't experience generous mercy and generous justice. Throughout the book of Acts, we see God taking this broken world, redeeming, restoring, and making it more beautiful through more churches. And that's because the church is where God makes his invisible kingdom that we cannot see. He makes it visible in the church. This is where the kingdom of God happens. And this is why, as many of you know by now, hopefully, that our church, Lord willing, will be planting a daughter church in Tyson's. 
Over two and a half million people live in Northern Virginia, and about 85% of our population don't identify as gospel-believing evangelical Christians. That's over two million people in Nova that don't know the gospel. That's over two million people in Nova who are broken without uh, gospel hope. This is why we need more churches in Northern Virginia. This is why we're planting a church in Tyson's. There are people and places that we as a church here in Centerville can't reach and won't reach unless more churches are planted. There are people that will never otherwise step foot inside our church and maybe, maybe even any other church unless we plant Christ Central Tyson's. This past summer, we celebrated 30 years of ministry as a church, and that's incredibly amazing. Um, but as we look ahead and look forward to 30 more years, I'm amazed and grateful that we get to be a part of making Metro DC more beautiful. And one of the ways that we're going to be able to do that is through planting a daughter church. I believe God wants to plant a church in Tyson's to reach more the lost, the last, the unbelieving, and the broken. I believe God wants to plant a church in Tyson's so that more unbelievers become, can become followers of Jesus and, grow, and cherish the gospel and grow in maturity. I believe God wants to plant a church in Tyson's to, to, so that the church, his church, can have a broader, wider, more beautiful witness here in Northern Virginia. I believe God wants to plant a church here in Tyson's so that our church here in Centerville can be more galvanized for the Great Commission. And somehow, I don't know how, you can ask Pastor Owen, I have this incredible privilege of helping to plant this church as a lead church planter. But I can't, and my family can't, and won't plant this church alone. We can't do it, which is why I believe that God wants some of you as well to step out of being comfortable, to step into faith, to step into growing as gospel ministry workers and leaders by joining Christ Central Tyson's church planting team. So right here in the middle of the sermon, I want to invite you to come to our interest meeting. We've got one today, a little bit late. You're supposed to register, but come anyway. Uh, we've also got one in the end of October, the last Sunday of October after first and second service, where my wife and I uh, would love to share our dream, our prayers, our hopes, and our story uh, with you. You can also join the Tyson's Interest Group on Church Center as well, where I'll be sharing communications uh, through that group if you want to hear more. Friends, the world around us is filled with broken people begging for good news. And the good news is that the gospel, and only the gospel, brings true, transformative, and lasting beauty. So let's live out our calling as a body of Christ by doing beautiful works and speaking beautiful words here in Centerville, Tyson's, and Northern Virginia. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us and not leaving us in our brokenness. You came to forgive us, redeem us, but you're also making us more beautiful as your body in this broken world. In the name of Jesus, help us do the same. Amen. Amen.